Welcome everybody to episode 58 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Lilibon X here with SB Unfurled. Unfortunately, we couldn't pull off another Richmond double like we did last season. It was a split trip down to the capital of Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. And it was it was a mixed bag. It was a great offensive performance one night, and it was a rough one on the other night. Unfurled, what do you think about that trip? I was riding high after the VCU game. I'm sure everyone was. I was up late, you know, texting people, uh, looking on Twitter. You know, it was, even though you have to get up early, like it was so fun. Just that offensive explosion we had in the Seagull Center. People probably saw about 89 points that we had is the most points an opponent has had in regulation in the Seagull Center. You've seen awesome VCU teams, especially defensively. Um, but man, Schmidt has had VCU's number four out of the last five. We've won two in a row in the Seagull Center. Last year, VCU won the A-10. And with our probably our worst year since, what, 2011, 2013 maybe, um, still beat them last year in the Seagull Center. So we've kind of had VCU's number. I, I love getting – that's something I can definitely get used to. Um, and then coming off the Akron win, like those two wins – Man, I was feeling really, really good. I was riding high. Um, and then, you know, I I like the schedule and how it worked out where we don't have to make two road trips down there. They gave it to us back to back, so we didn't have the extra travel. So I'm feeling great heading into Richmond. And uh, well, that was uh, that was that good mood was put to bed um, in the first half, toward the end of the first half during that disgusting, disgusting run. So uh, definitely a tale of two games. It's a reminder that these are, it's a college team. Um, You know, you're going to have ups and downs like this. You can never go into a game um, expecting just to win in this conference, especially on the road. Um, So, you know, Richmond's a, a pretty decent team. They'll end up probably top half of the conference. Those are, those are tough games. It's by no means a bad loss, but the way we played coming off of those two pretty big wins and just how we were playing in general um, really leaves a bad taste in our mouth this week. But um, you know, I, I think, defensively we were fine it was just offensively just hit a wall yeah i think so it looks like you know it it looked like towards the end of that richmond game that they they lost steam um you look at the pace between the vcu and richmond games and we were far more up tempo against vcu and it wasn't because vcu was exactly forcing us to we were trying to play it at that pace you got to remember that going back to Akron, this is the third game away from the Riley Center in eight days. Um, you know, Akron was technically a neutral site game, but it was in Cleveland. So they go from Cleveland to, I'm not sure if they went back to Bonaventure, but they went from Cleveland to Richmond and played two games down in Richmond in eight days. So you could tell at a certain point that they were getting lethargic and just not forcing, just just not pushing the pace. Yeah. And that really allowed Richmond to get into their half-court sets on offense and defense. I was not very impressed with Richmond beyond Jordan King. And Isaiah Bigelow also had a big game for them, too. The rest of that team, I thought, was not that remarkable. I don't see Richmond as this big powerhouse team that's going to challenge Dayton and us and St. Joe's at the no. top of the A-10. They're very solid. Don't get me wrong. They had a, a win on the road at Loyola after us, which, you know, Loyola has their own issues, but I I still think that 
the Bonnie's lack of speed is what really hurt them against Richmond. They, you know, we're not an up-tempo team like some of these other teams, but they certainly want to get out more than they did on Saturday. And I think you saw that with the nine-minute stretch, nine-and-a-half-minute stretch of no scoring. That was just – that's what I've been harping on all season is that there are too many stretches where the team gets stuck in half-court offensive sets that don't amount to anything. Mm-hmm. And you saw that over and over and over again where they couldn't even get to the foul line. It was brutal. It was a brutal stretch. You look <laughs> at it, we were up 21 to 16, 10 minutes in, and then we went into the half 23 to 28. Uh, yeah. So they, we were down five. So is, we're up five, it, down five. <laughs> brutal. So brutal that you don't want to do, you don't want to hear a quick recap of that run. Cause so Ken Palm breaks it down by quarter. Um, yep. <laughs> that second quarter, we scored two points. Yep. Um, and you're right. Richmond, like the game in general was pretty even, um, you know, field goal percentages were down, uh, there, you know, they were 43%. We were 39%. They, they were five of 21 from deep. We were five of 17. We shot better than them from three. Um, free throws were pretty even rebounds were pretty even. Um, you know, it, you go right down the list fouls, tur- like the thing that cost us in that game was turnovers. Um, we had way yeah. too many turnovers. It was 14 to six. Venning had half of those. Um, he had seven turnovers. And I, you know, I can live, especially with how well he played against VCU. You could say maybe he was the best player on the court, him and Pride. Um, but, you know, seven turnovers, they got 19 points off turnovers. So points off turnovers were 19 to six, Richmond's favor. You can live with five of 11 from your big man if he's having an off night, especially because Venning's starting to shoot, move it out a little more and shoot some jumpers. Five of 11 isn't going to lose you games, but when you turn it, turn it over seven times and um, and then, you know, that's half your team's turnovers and they get 19 points. Um, that's really what killed us. And this is a team also, we were fourth in the country in not getting the ball stolen from us. We did, right. we've done a, a great job controlling the ball. The mistakes that we make are kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, and we've rehashed that over and over, but getting the ball stolen from us, that really, that hardly ever happens. Only three teams in the entire country have been better. Um, this game, Richmond, 11 steals. The only game they had more steals was against Siena, who was barely even a D1 team this year. Um, right. So, yeah, I'll live with five of 11. The seven turnovers were rough, but that stretch, so Flowers hits a three to go up 21-13, um, and we're about halfway through the first half. So I'm like, oh, sh- shit, we're on pace to hit 80 again, right? Um, yeah. It goes Noel Brown turnover, Luke miss jumper, Flowers miss jumper, Venning turnover, Venning miss jumper, Adams Woods miss jumper, Venning turnover, Venning miss jumper, Banks miss three point jumper, Asa miss three point jumper, Adams Woods miss three point jumper, Brown miss jumper, Noel Brown turnover, and then Asa makes a jumper finally to end that stretch. It was a 15-0 run. That could have been a 30-nothing run. That could have been 25-plus nothing run. We were lucky to be down five at the half, and I I went in after that. I was like, holy shit, that was some of the worst basketball I've seen us play. Um, (laughs) And we're only down five. Like, someone just get to the line, try to, like, pride, get to the line, try to get us, you know, just one or two buckets in that stretch would have made a huge difference. So two total points over the final 10 minutes. 
a 15 0 run for, uh, for Richmond. Um, I thought Richmond did a good job on venting. Neil Quinn's a really good big man for them, a great passer. Um, you know, and Richmond, by the way, had 16 assists on 24 field goals. Really good. We only had five assists on 19 field goals. Our assists were looking pretty good for a while, but that's something the last couple games, the ball movement and, and the assists haven't been um, as good uh, in a couple of the games recently. But, um, yeah, Richmond did a good job making Venning catch the ball farther out than he wants to. Um, I thought he was catching it low against VCU. We got some some decent shots off against VCU. And then for us on the defensive end, Neil Quinn was out on the perimeter. They were running him around. All the backdoor cuts. We were giving up tons of backdoors. Quinn had Venning chasing him out on the perimeter. Venning looked really gassed even two or three minutes into the game. Um, and Quinn is such a good passer. I'm like, oh, I, I wanted us to zone them keep venting down low because he it was affecting his offensive game I, I thought um so yeah there there were some things that I really didn't like that I thought we kind of shored up um you know defensively giving up 54 or what do we give up um 64 points something like that, 65 points yeah. defense did its job again like you give up 65 points this team with this offense and this balance if you give up 65 points you should win um but you know that you know the defense was there. I thought mostly there were the back doors that we gave up were frustrating, but I thought we did enough um, defensively that 10 minute stretch. Uh, if you just average 15, 16 points every 10 minutes, like we did in the other three sets of 10 minutes, the other three quarters, so to speak, yeah. you're winning that game. But you know, that, that, that 10 minute stretch was absolutely brutal. Yeah. So I just want to know what you think needs to change going forward in this offensive, these offensive sets, like I, like I mentioned before, because in VCU, is it as simple as that they were a little more free flowing and quicker, or was it just that they, you know, got tired and weren't making shots? I'm just, I'm just still at a loss for what it is because it does seem like, it does seem like this is this Richmond game was probably the worst performance other than Siena. In my mm-hmm. view, I think it was, you know, just as I'm not saying, I'm sorry, Canisius. It, it was the it was the worst performance other than the Canisius loss. And not saying that Richmond's a terrible loss on that level. That's only a Q2 loss. And if Richmond keeps performing decently in the conference, and it should easily stay to Q2, maybe Q Q1 if they get hot. But I still think that there are a lot of issues that need to be ironed out with getting Pride involved in the offensive offense more. I thought this was going to be his game to take over. He mm-hmm. only had six shots, two of six. He was decent. Had 11 points, one of our few guys in double digits. But I still didn't really see him involved very much. It mm-hmm. seemed like a lot of mistakes from Venning really bogged us down. When you had the focal point of your offense turning the ball over seven times, you're really not going to win any games, to, to yeah. be real with you. <laughs> and even Mike Adams-Woods didn't have his best performance against Richmond with one turn, one assist, two turnovers, and normally he has one of the best assist to turnover rates in the country. So that yeah. was definitely a shocker. Mm-hmm. Moses Flowers was the only one to really provide any significant shooting, I thought. So um, he needs to keep yeah. getting involved. What do you think needs to change with this offense? What do you think? What do you think can be improved to get rid of all these these droughts that we tend to get into sometimes? 
Um, I don't know if anything needs to be changed. Because remember, like we just said, we're coming off of the best offensive performance an opponent has ever had at Siegel Center. Um, and we, you know, Akron, we didn't play great offensively, but that's kind of the style of that game. Um, so I don't really want to read too much into it and say, like, we need to do a ton of stuff differently. Um, hitting shots, as you saw the last two games and that Jekyll and Hyde act that we had masks a ton of things. So you only get two three pointers by guys other than Moses flowers pride hit one of three and Asa hit one of three. Other than that, no one, you know, no one other than flowers hit a three. Um, I think 17 threes for how, um, I, I don't think we're a great three point shooting team, but it can be a strength of ours. If you look at our stats, um, we're 30th in the country in three point percentage, which, you know, after the beginning of the year that we had, we were terrible from three in the beginning of the year. The first right. like, few games we were in the two hundreds, like the mid two hundreds. We have worked that all the way up to being 30th in the country in three point percentage. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of threes usually, um, we get most of our points from three pointers, uh, definitely not free throws. We seem to not be getting to the line, which if you're asking like, what's one thing I would like us to get to the line more. Um, yeah. we're 200 we're almost 300 in the country and feel, uh, free throw attempts. So, you know, getting to the line more, finding ways, um, to get those easy free throws when we have a ridiculous drought like we like we had on uh, Saturday. That's one way. But I also think we need to take more than 17 three-pointers. Um, even though we only were 5 of 17, um, I, I think in a game like that, you really got to get someone else going, whether it's – it could be Banks. It could be uh, – you know, it could be – Flowers has been pretty good, but Adams Woods, he was – you know, and defenses have done a really good job keying on him after his heater that he had. But, you know, yeah. guys like him, I would like him to take more three pointers. Um, how many did he have against Richmond? Let's see. It didn't seem like he had. He's 0 of 2. 0 of 2. So, like, Banks, too. And, you know, Banks has struggled this year. He's probably only like 25% from deep. But um, I want Adams Woods taking more threes. I would like Pride to take more threes. Um, I think we should be shooting at least 20, if not 25 threes a game. Um, I don't want it to be something that we rely on like St. Joe's because when you live and die by the three, you open yourself up to um, losing to really bad teams. And we can't have that happen this year. So like, you know, yeah. defense needs to be the staple venting should the offense largely can still run through him and we need to use, use his skills to our advantage, of course. But um, I want more threes and I want more free throws. Yeah, I think when you mentioned the free throws, that goes back to what I was saying about pride. If you look at the box score from Richmond, he had six of eight from the free throw line. The entire team only had six th free throws other than him. So mm -hmm. he was he's the one that's going to be most likely to get to the free throw line other than possibly Venning. I mean, Venning was three of four against Richmond. And, you know, it, it, it was a bit of a difference, though, for Mike Adams-Woods in that front because he was 10 of 12 from the line against VCU. He did yeah. a lot more slashing and cutting yeah. to the lane, whether it was off on the ball or if he was getting, you know, cutting and getting backdoor cuts or other kind of passes into the lane. So, yeah, I think overall the offense needs to move more around to get people slashing and get people to the line more because we are a very good free throw shooting team, 17th in the country. And that's that's very good, and that needs to keep up. And I have seen pretty much everybody shooting well 
from the free throw line. There's not one player, even Chad Venning is really good from the free throw line for a center. So yeah. this is a pretty good free throw shooting team that needs to, you know, take advantage of that. So it, it does mm-hmm. seem like it needs to be an inside out kind of game where it's either shooting threes or slashing in there. So yeah. that is something that we want to see. And, and real um, quick too, um, yeah. like I say that, with just two games ago, we shot 27 free throws against VCU. We were 21 right. of 27. That was kind of an exception. Like I was watching that. I was like, holy shit. I can't believe, especially us down in Richmond in VCU getting this many calls. That's kind of just how the game was called. VCU shot 18 free throws. We shot 27. Adams Woods was getting to the line constantly and attacking. That is that has been more the exception, even with those 26 free throws and 27 and 26 against Canisius, we're still about 300 in the country in free throw attempts. So um, that was an anomaly. I, I didn't it's not an oversight. That is just, you know, more often than not, it seems like we're not shooting as many free throws. Um, so I, I would like that to definitely change. Have we even had 27 free throws in all of our other games against VCU in the Caffeinasium? I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, and, and, By the way, can we get into that a little bit? Like, we had a good win against VCU. VCU yeah. beat George Mason on the road Tuesday night, and VCU is uh-huh. up and down this year. That's not the same powerhouse, but they're still going to be a tough team in the A-10 in the middle of the pack. We got to enjoy that win a little bit because that was, yeah. that was a very good performance. That is what you can see this team at its peak. I actually don't think it was our best performance. I actually think Niagara was a better performance against a worse team. But I yeah. think, you know, I think we let VCU hang around a little too much in that game at times. But I still think it was one of our best performances, of course. And mm-hmm. it's our best win in, in terms of the metrics. But I think there is definitely a ceiling that they can reach that's bigger than what VCU that performance was. Yeah, and I love seeing Asa really, really get going in that game. Yeah, like, he was four of five from deep. Pride was three of three from deep. Um, we hit twelve of twenty-two threes. I was just sitting there like, man, we're gonna start getting cold soon, right? And then we just didn't ever get cold. And Asa's especially were in huge moments. Like we came out of the half. There was a couple one maybe or two in the first half that he that you know it seemed like VCU was starting to chip away the crowd was getting back into it maybe they forced a turnover to and Asa just buries or pride buries a three um and then coming yeah. out of the half the uh, Quaney Quaney for VCU in the corner first possession hits a three in the corner and I'm like oh boy we're gonna have like a we're gonna kind of come out of the half like a deer in the headlights VCU is gonna adjust this is gonna go down to the wire no like Asa came right back down and answered and then they hit like another three or got a field goal and then it was like Asa or Pride immediately answered so it was it was really really good to see Asa get going in that game um in yeah that was really enjoyable uh I so I don't want to just harp on the bad Richmond loss if these two games were in reverse and we played Richmond and then VCU um we would be celebrating the VCU win more so um yeah that yeah just an all-around team game five guys in double figures Venning with 19 uh Pride played awesome you know it was it was all around at the end frustrated me I thought we could have won by like 20 honestly 15 to 20 um the last couple minutes all the turnovers and fouls kind of kept that a little closer than it should have been um but man not much to complain about in that one by the way we've won five of our last eight games in the sequel center if you count the a10 tournament in 2021 oh so you know (laughs) 
not so wise grifter once said that it's like a 10 day trip to Europe there. Well, it's, it's treated us very well. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, this VCU team, we asked rusty on our last, like on our last episode, is it, um, is it very apparent when you watch them is that it's a different coach, a different style. Um, and I saw it like, you know, you're used to VCU when you play, just watching the uniforms, you're used to getting pressed like all game and like really having that. We, yeah, I was like, wow, this is a whole role reversal. We were pressing and they weren't. Um, so yeah, I, I was worried Bamisil was going to get hot because he hit one early, but then he kind of fell off and didn't play very well. So, you know, our defense has been locked in. We just can't have those those Richmond hiccups uh, for such long stretches. Fly. You can fly. We can fly. Come on, everybody. Here we go. Up to Neverland. Think of a wonderful thought. Any merry little thought. We'll be seeing VCU later on this month. I'm excited for that. But before we get to that, we have two more Rams coming to the Riley Center now. We got from one Rams to now two more Rams. We're going to be doing the the three Rams. Uh, We'll talk about the roadie Rams next week, but... On Saturday, the Fordham Rams are coming to the Riley Center. Fordham, for the first time in I don't know when, <laughs> swept us last year. And Keith Ergo and his uh, his little uh, group of Peter Pans, they <laughs> are having a little bit of a sophomore slump under him. They're not too terrible. They're not like your typical historical bad Fordham. But they are having... A bit of a rougher year. They've mm-hmm. uh, lost to teams like Central Connecticut. They've lost to Abilene Christian, Kent State, who's not the hottest team in that conference, and New Jersey Institute of Technology, which does exist if you're not aware of that. <laughs> and they also lost at La- to LaSalle at home. Seen some of their games, uh, that Central Connecticut State game, they they looked pretty rough in that one. That, that's for sure. That was right before Christmas. That was a rough one for them. When you look at Fordham, what do you think about this matchup and what do you think is going to be different from last year? I really like this matchup, to be honest. Um, And it's tough. You know, Fordham is tough to predict. Um, I was looking at Haslam metrics. They're actually 315th in the country in consistency. They're one of the more erratic teams in NCAA. Um, So it's tough to forecast, like, how I think they'll come out. and, and on the road, I feel like they have performed a little bit better than you would expect. I don't know. Um, I, I haven't looked at like the spreads and how they are against the spread on the road, but it seems like they do perform somewhat better than the norm when they're away from home. Um, but I really like this matchup because, uh, you know, Fordham pretty bad offensively. Uh, I think the defense is more the staple there, you know, average, maybe a little bit above average defensively, but I think, you know, I think we match up well with them across the board. Um, They are not very good around the rim. They're not great from three. I feel like a lot of, if they have a strength offensively, I guess it's mid range, which is exactly what you want. If you're the defense, (laughs) Um, give them that, you know, if, if they want, Uh, but you know, they, 
I think we match up well. They have a couple good players, but you know, with our defense, um, I really think they're going to struggle a whole lot. And I don't think students will be there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but get there know, if student, you can. If you're listening, do yeah, it. Students will be, I think, back Tuesday. You know, this game Saturday. If some come back early, maybe. I don't think it'll be a super raucous environment. But our defense, especially a week off, coming out off of a loss, I think we're going to be ready to go. Um, and you know, it, just looking at their roster, uh, Abdu Simbila, probably their best player, the center. Um, he's pretty good. And then Jafe Medor is solid too. They got a couple guys off the bench, like Elijah Gray. Um, but you know, other than that, like their starters are kind of, I would say below average, like Kyle Rose, Will Richardson, and Charles Charlton. Watch them light us up now because I'm saying this, but probably right. wouldn't. I don't know if they'd play on our team. I don't know if those guys would crack Schmidt's rotation. Um, and then Josh Revere has been out for a while. I think he, I'm not sh- exactly sure what his injury is, but I don't expect him to play. So, you know, Simbila down low and uh, Medor at point. Uh, I do always like having a good point guard center duo, especially in this league. I think that helps a lot, but um, our guys are, I think Venning is better than Simbila, and I think uh, Adams Woods is definitely better than Medor. And then on the wings is really where I think we can take advantage of Fordham with guys like you know Flowers, Pride, Evans, Asa. Even um, we have a real advantage on the wings that we need to exploit. So um, matchup wise, both team style offense and defense and going right down to the individual players. Not to mention the coaching. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Schmidt's a much better coach than Ergo right now. Um, I like this game. I think it it needs to be a a solid, easy victory. Yep, we're thirteen point favorites. This is what Ken Palm says is our easiest remaining game. Although, wait a week, it may be St. Louis at the very end of the year because St. Louis is a total tire fire right now. Yeah, <laughs> I say that on on Wednesday night, and they're going to play St. Joe's at home. I'm expecting St. Joe's to absolutely obliterate them after they choked against Rhodey. Great Scott! It is I, Little Bot X from the future! At least from the future compared to when these guys originally recorded this. Not only did St. Joe's actually lose to St. Louis, but they blew a 20-point lead! Gibson Jimerson opened up 1.21 gigawatts on the Hawks from three in the second half. And now Billy Lang is in a supermax prison. Okay, let's get back to the present. Great Scott, I mean the past or, or whatever I was talking about. What, 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 the, what the hell was that? Oh, well, anyways, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, that's right. I think St. Louis might be a worse worse opponent than Fordham, but this is probably our second, at least, our second easiest game remaining on the schedule. Yeah. The problem with the St. Louis team, by then, I'm hearing Schmidt actually might be out. He's possibly taking the Alabama football coaching job. That's true. That's true. All of this entire podcast could be completely obsolete because Nick Saban just retired, announced his retirement maybe a half hour ago from what I'm talking right now. So yeah, Mark Schmidt, he could be joining Nate Oates at Alabama and coaching the <laughs> football team. <laughs> so we could see another Bonnie go to Alabama. But yeah, getting back to Fordham, you know, Simbila is the only person that legitimately scares me on this Fordham team. Not only because of what he can do, I think 
I think he's I think he's slightly worse than Venning, but I think it's fairly close. It is. But yeah. I would be worried, of course, about Venning getting into foul trouble. Now, fortunately, mm-hmm. Noel Brown is there to also help us out, but that's a common concern that we always have, and especially with big men. The one upside is Simbila is not a stretch five by any yeah. means. He is definitely, um, you know, a typical down low player. Actually, Chad Venning is turning into a bit more of a stretch five mm-hmm. <laughs> as we saw with that VCU half court or um, halftime buzzer beater. And, you know, the one that he got robbed against Florida Atlantic, that was another one. So he's he's been showing some range. So maybe Venning will be the one to pull out Simbila and get Simbila in foul trouble. So if I remember correctly, I think Simbila got in foul trouble against that Central Connecticut game that they lost. But yeah, other than that, it's it's a little bit more of a mediocre team around the perimeter with Kyle, Kyle Rose, Antrell Charlton. Those two guys, I feel like, have been there since the, the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Medor, like you mentioned, has been you know very solid for them, one of their best scoring options. But yeah, overall, I don't see this, this Fordham team being able to hang at least at the Riley Center. I would, of course, be worried about them at Rose Thrill, even though the most of the bandwagon fans probably won't show up by mid-February. Mm-hmm. But I still think, you know, it's it's tougher to win on the road anywhere, as we saw with Richmond. So overall, I think I think you mentioned it. You know, the three-point shooting is mediocre average from Fordham. They are a terrible free-throw shooting team. They have a strong defense. So this this may be a game where you want to hit the under if you're – if you're playing, putting a little wager on it. And other than that, you know, just got to turn them over. They turn the ball over fairly frequently. They do force some turnovers, so we have to be uh, tight yeah. with our, our passing. Yep. And then, yeah, I think one of those three guys you mentioned earlier, Pride, Evans, or Asa, have to emerge as threats in the three or four position because because that's going to be a huge matchup that we need to exploit into our advantage. Yeah. And, you know, Fordham has kind of made a living getting to the line this year. They're 65th in the country in how many free throws, how many of their points come from free throws. The thing is, they're not a good free throw shooting team. They're, they they yeah. only are, are 66% from the line. That's 314th in the country. So they're getting there a lot, um, which helps if you can get a guy like Venning into foul trouble. Um, but they're not really capitalizing. So um, Medor, Gray, I think Revere will be out. But uh, guys like them and then Simbila have been good at drawing fouls. You know, they're top 20-ish in the country in drawing fouls and, and getting to the line. That's something I – hope you know they as a home team you know maybe hopefully you always want them to let the boys play by the way that richmond game i think there was one foul call in the first half yeah in the whole first half i think it was one or two maybe two fouls called in the entire first half i think it was two on us one on richmond if i i think it might have been that yeah that that first half was so fast and thankfully it was because we couldn't hit a shot (laughs) yeah oh my god they let him play but yeah uh you know i i think if Richmond or if if Fordham's gonna beat us, they're gonna need a guy like Medora to get really hot from deep, or even like a guy like Kyle Rose. He's pretty good from deep as well. But you know, we've been we've been good at um, protecting the the perimeter, and you know, Gridzy would be very happy with our <laughs> defensive performance. I think forty one in the country in three point defense. Um, so your top say top forty in three point offense and three point defense. Um, that's pretty good, and hopefully that can that can be consistent. But you know, looking ahead just a little bit, 
Um, right. I think our two, you mentioned St. Louis, but two most winnable games, although Rhode Island has looked good and they have knocked a whole shitload of people out of the survival pool. Um, they knocked fading. one of my picks. I had people. Davidson. So had 60%, Davidson. <laughs> 60% are already out um, within week one. And a lot, a large part of that is roadie. Maybe they're better than people give them credit for, but you know, for all intents and purposes, Fordham and Rhode Island at home are our next two games. You got to take advantage of those games. We're 88 and 85% on Ken Palm to win because then you got your toughest stretch of the season. Seven games coming up after that um, from late January all the way into mid February. You got seven straight games against pretty good opponents. You go at Mason, at Duquesne, St. Joe's, VCU, at Dayton, UMass, and then Duquesne. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the meat of the schedule right there. So we got to get these two wins, get some momentum, stay healthy. And then that's when we can really, really make a noise and make a run, especially the Dayton game. Yeah. There's at least two Q1 games in there. If not three, if, uh, Duquesne gets their act together, which I hope not, by the way, Duquesne could, (laughs) maybe I'm putting this out into the universe just so it can happen, but Duquesne might start uh, a 10 play. Oh, and six, cause they got to play Dayton on Friday, 10. And then they play Richmond at home. Richmond's, you know, we've seen Richmond's good. Then they got to play at St. Joe's. And then we go down to uh, Schittsburg on the 23rd, like you Mm. mentioned. So that's a pretty tough start for Duquesne, but getting back to us, you know, the better team, we have that really brutal stretch. That's the, that's where the season's going to be decided between January 20th and February 10th. Those games you mentioned, George Mm -hmm. Mason is good. Um, They're inconsistent, but they're good. Same with Duquesne St. All these teams are good, but inconsistent. We're good, but inconsistent. And it's just going to be the, the top five, six teams that you're expecting to finish in that, in that part of the a 10, you know, Mason, Mason, I think, has a lot of potential. They actually may worry me more than anybody but St. Joe's and Dayton in this conference. So I would, those are, I would put them with those those two and then the Bonnies as my uh, double-buy predictions right now. If we're going to go there, I think those are the four best teams. Put them in whatever order you want. Dayton, you know, almost lost to UMass. So they're, they're uh, you know, we got to keep an eye on Dayton. They might not be a runaway Dayton team. This is not the OB top and Dayton team that got um, – that ruined no. the world with COVID because <laughs> yeah, God could not let Dayton uh, have the best team in the country <laughs> yeah. that year. I'm going to, so, yeah, I'm going to make a prediction. I think we're going to win. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think we're going to win 11 straight games. I think we're <laughs> going to be 12 and one heading into Tom Gola arena. And then we're losing that game. Like we're losing that game. I, I feel more confident we'll be Dayton at Dayton than LaSalle at LaSalle. I may go yeah. to that game actually. No, at LaSalle. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. You know, winning that many games in this league is there's so many teams already that are one and one. And as you saw in survivor, like it's, it's so hard to know any given night. And that's Rothstein says, you know, the shirt grifter you've called him, mm-hmm. uh, the A10 will cannibalize itself. Everyone will end up, uh, nine and nine or something, you know, it, there's just always a big cluster in the middle of teams that are hovering around 500. I think we'll remain above the fray for, for sure. I think we're good enough to be a double buy. Um, but yeah, just looking ahead all the way ahead to at Gola. It's always one that worries me. Yeah. Cause that back end of the schedule is looking pretty weak, you know, then we'll mm-hmm. end up going to Fordham on Valentine's day, Davidson for eighties weekend, 
We're going to yeah. lose that game at Gola no matter what. I don't care if Osala is <laughs> the worst team in the country. We're, we're not winning in Gola. I know we're not. <laughs> and then we got to go to UMass, which should be a pretty empty uh, facility no matter how, mm-hmm. how good UMass is. Then Loyola Chicago, GW on the road, and then yeah. St. Louis to end it out. Uh, you know, once we get into mid-February – that's when it, it should really be a pretty easy slog for us as opposed to this middle stretch. So that's why these yeah. Foreman roadie games are going to be very important to win. I would especially look at George Mason and St. Joe's as being two games that we really have to win as well as the Duquesne game at home, especially for tiebreakers because we only played George Mason and St. Joe's once. So you would want to have that win over both of them to get that advantage. And of course Dayton, because who's to say we can't beat Dayton for the regular season title. We can't, we can't just assume that. I mean, we're right at the top yeah. of, of the all the metrics with St. Joe's and Dayton and, and I guess George Mason, depending on what you look at. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that is going to be a crucial stretch, and that's why the offense needs to get back into gear in these next two games against these next two Rams. Yeah, and, you know, Kobe Elvis for Dayton, really, really good player. He starts every game. He plays 30-plus minutes a game. He got injured. I don't think there has been, at least that I saw today, um, any real update. So a lot of people around the league are saying if he's out, that that's so important for Dayton that that actually lowers them to maybe another tier because they were kind of in a tier of their own. Um, and I still would say they probably are from what I've seen, um, although UMass gave them a pretty good game. But it seems like Dayton is in that top tier and then it's your Bonas, St. Joe's, Mason right now is how I see it. But, you know, we have a chance, especially if we want, and people will probably not agree with me, and at, uh, you said it last week and I was against it, but I have changed. I'm more on your side now. I don't think getting to the bubble by March is out of the question. You have to no. win at Dayton, though. You have to win that game. Of course. Yeah, you have to win at Dayton because that's the to. only – Q1 game that we really definitely have remaining. Mm-hmm. I think George Mason probably should, but we don't even know that for sure. Richmond yeah. might be able to bump up there. They're currently 89 in net, and they only got to go to 75. So if yeah. Richmond keeps it up, they can. But other than that, I don't think Duquesne's going to get there. I don't have faith in VCU getting to be a Q1 win, and they certainly won't be when they come to the Riley Center later this no. month. So it's, yeah, it's that Dayton game is going to – there, there should be no at-large conversation after that Dayton game if we lose it. Right. But it doesn't mean that our season's over because there's plenty of other opportunities to keep piling up wins. Yeah. We have important type. We had important doubleheaders with Duquesne and UMass for seeding, VCU for seeding potentially. Those are going to be crucial ones to to make sure we sweep if we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, we will know. On February 2nd, on Groundhog Day. And it's funny because I say every year, I don't like talking about actual like bracket stuff. It's okay to maybe like do what we're doing now and be like, yeah, I mean, it's it's still there, but you know, we have to wait and see. We're always in wait and see mode. I always right. say once Groundhog Day hits, that's when you can really start doing more of a deep dive because the metrics are more solid and teams aren't going to fluctuate as much. You kind of know what you have as far as the quad breakdowns. Um, yeah, early early to mid-February is when you can really get a pretty clear picture. Lo and behold, we play Dayton on Groundhog Day, so that will be the day. Do we have six more weeks of the season or not? Like that's... We will know after that one whether or not we still have a chance, if not before. Because if you drop Fordham or Rhodey, 
um, then it's done anyway. But, you know, if we can win those and put together, you know, maybe three, win three or four after that heading into Dayton, um, yeah, you got a, you got a chance to get in the conversation. Exactly. Can't look ahead. We took down one Rams. We took down the evilest of the Rams. Now we got to take down the Fordham Rams this Saturday in the Riley Center. Thank you all so much again for listening to us here on SB Unfurled and friends getting you ready for that Fordham game. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SB Unfurled and at LittleBonX for all of your great Atlantic 10 basketball coverage and nonsense that we always will provide for you here. Be sure to also to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Look us up. we got to be there. If not, let us know. Thank you again for listening. Yeah.